Labor Day, let's begin this special hour of the Sunrise Morning Show with a prayer to St. Joseph the Worker. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Glorious St. Joseph, model of all who pass their life in labor, obtain for me the grace to work in a spirit of penance and atone for my many sins, to work conscientiously, putting the call of duty above my own inclinations, to work with gratitude and joy considering it an honor to use and develop by my labor the gifts I have received from God, to work with order, peace, moderation, and patience without ever recoiling before weariness or difficulties. Help me to work, above all, with purity of intention and with detachment from self, having always before my eyes the hour of death and the accounting which I must render of time lost, talents wasted, good omitted, and vain complacency and success which is so fatal to the work of God. All for Jesus, all for Mary, all after your example, O Patriarch Joseph. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning and welcome to this special Labor Day edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Anna Mitchell, and alongside Matt Swaim, we're heading to the archives today to share with you some of our best interviews from past shows with this national holiday in mind. Hope you can stick around for the full hour ahead. We'll get started right now. It's two minutes past the hour. It's the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Anna Mitchell, and Mike Aquilina is with us from FathersOfTheChurch.com. He's co-author with fellow Sunrise Morning Show regular Dr. Jim Papandrea of Seven Revolutions, How Christianity Changed the World and Can Change It Again. Mike, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, Annie. Always love to have you back. And we're talking about labor today, or work. Prior to Christianity, how did the non-Christian or pagan world value labor? It belonged to slaves. It uh, It had very negative connotations. Work was something to be avoided. And if you were of the aristocracy, the nobility, it was something you didn't do. You know, that was something that you, you bought slaves to do. And so, uh, so we, we find even in the works of, uh, of Plato, of Aristotle, um, uh, derogatory statements about people who work with their hands and do contemptuous labor. You know, this was, this was something frowned upon. And, uh, and it continues from, from Greek to Roman culture. And we find it even, you know, in the later pagan philosophers like Plotinus, who, uh, who looked down on the servile work that was done by slaves. Well, Mike, how did Christianity refute those ideas about labor? Well, you know, Christianity uh, uh, arose out of uh, the religion of Israel, Judaism, and, uh, and, and we find the scriptures of this revealed religion, uh, beginning with, with uh, the creation of a man and a woman and the command to work, to go out there and to till the garden and to keep it. And, uh, and so work had positive co- connotations from the beginning. And if you look at all the great heroes of the Old Testament, they're not people who just kind of lounged around on a couch all day and, and had slaves peel them grapes. They were farmers and herdsmen and mothers, and they were seamstresses, and they were, um, they were sailors like Noah. And, uh, and so they were doing 
they were doing work with their hands. They were they were they were putting in respectable days um, with uh, with their hands, with their feet, and uh, and getting things done. This continued in the New Testament when God became incarnate. He became incarnate as a carpenter, as a man who worked with his hands, as a craftsman, and uh, and then you know when he when he when he uh, commissioned the next generation to go out to the world and tell the good news, we find that the most articulate of all of his followers is a tent maker, St. <laughs> Paul. So there's this, this, uh, this kind of blue-collar quality to the first generation of Christians. And, and what, what's interesting is that that's one of the, the, the reasons the pagan apologists cited for not becoming a Christian. Wow. Because you know what? You just have to hang around with, with slaves and laborers at church. Wow. You know, I was going to ask you, and hoping you can dive a little bit deeper into that, how did the pagan world take to this Christian message of the dignity of work? Well, they laughed at it. Uh, you know, the earliest anti-Christian apologist we know about was a pagan philosopher named Celsus, or Chelsus, depending on the kind of Latin you speak. But, uh, but he wrote, he wrote uh, this, this tract against Christianity, and in it he, he, uh, he, he scoffed at, uh, at the fact that you'll find wool workers in these con- congregations, and washerwomen, and all of these people who do grungy work that, that really uh, respectable people people uh, just don't do. And, uh, and so he, he derided Christians for this reason, that they, they included, yes, the wealthy, but also the rabble, and they included them together. And we find that this is the case uh, even in the earliest days of the Church, because that's the way St. Paul describes the, the, the congregation at Corinth, that it included the wealthy and the poor, those who had and those ha- who had not. And they were called to be one communion. Um, uh, it's, it's interesting that Jesus and Mary are singled out for their hard work, and they're scoffed at by Chelsea. Wow. Very interesting. Now, I'm assuming then that there was a very different message coming from the post-apostolic age and the Christian fathers of the Church. Absolutely. You know, the, the, the Christians were encouraged to work hard, and they were uh, encouraged to do their work with diligence, because in doing so, they were imitating God himself. There's a great line from Jesus where he says, he says, my father is, is working still, and I am working. You know, this is, this is something that, that, that Jesus is describing himself as a laborer and describing God himself as a laborer. So we're imitating God when we're, when we're laboring. We're, we're cooperating with God and co-creating with God when, we're, when we do work of our work with our hands and it's given a certain dignity you know the fathers of the church loved uh that that sense we have in the mass uh where we we bring to the altar the uh the fruit of the earth and work of human hands those are the words of the mass and the fathers loved that sense that we were bringing all the earth to the altar and there it was being consecrated along with the bread and wine we were bringing the earth back to God, reconsecrating it, and, and restoring all things in Christ. And, I mean, you think about the father of monasticism. I mean, the, uh, the Benedictines, their motto today even still is ora et labora, work and prayer. That's true. 
you know, even long before uh, Saint Benedict, Saint Basil was telling monks that they should have a, they should have work to do every day because they should be producing something that was a benefit to the poor. So he encouraged them to make things with their hands, to make baskets, to make boxes, that sort of thing, things that would be useful for the poor. Hmm. Now, Mike, did the Christian message of the dignity of work bring hope to those who did labor? How could it not? Otherwise, if, if you were a slave or in any kind of servile capacity, you could only think of yourselves in third-rate terms. Uh, you were not appreciated, you were not loved, you were not respected the way the aristocracy uh, were respected. So I, I, I think that, that Christianity just restored that, that dignity uh, to these people and gave them a sense of who they were, uh, maybe not in the eyes of the pagan culture, but in the eyes of God. But did we also see Christianity perhaps changing the way that people treated slaves and other laborers? Well, certainly, because there you have that kind of democracy that exists in a congregation. If you look at the earliest, um, uh, the earliest uh, instructions for bishops, uh, the, the documents like the Didascalia Apostolorum from the third century, they're, in, they're telling bishops, you may not make distinctions between wealthy people and laborers. You, you, you may not make those distinctions in a congregation. They have to be able to sit together. They have to be able to worship together. And, and, uh, and, and really, the congregation should reflect the fact that God does not make those distinctions. And Mike, I know you talk about this in a book that you've co-authored with Dr. Jim Papandrea. Tell us more about that book. Well, it's, it's titled Seven Revolutions. It's out from Image Books. And, uh, and it talks about seven ways that the, um, that, that the early Christian church revolutionized the world uh, by, by, by kind of introducing new ideas into the bloodstream of civilization. So, you know, there are ideas like human dignity and about the dignity of human work. Uh, and that's just a couple of examples, obviously. But, uh, but Christianity really did give us our current understanding of these things. And, uh, and, and I don't know where we would be without it. Absolutely. And what do you think we can learn from it today? Oh, we should celebrate it. We should celebrate it because this is a gift of the Church, this appreciation of labor, which would have been impossible without the advent of Jesus Christ. We should celebrate the great craftsman, the great carpenter, the great laborer who works beside us and, uh, and, and, and goes to work with us every day. That was the way the earliest fathers imagined him in their piety. Clement of Alexandria, writing in Egypt at the end of the second century, you know, told people to imagine Jesus as a tamer of wild horses. Other fathers said, imagine him as a mariner there with you, doing your work, uh, and, and imagine him as a, as a man in the field leaning into the plow beside you. We can do that today, and we can know that God is working beside us, working with us, working through us. Our hands, because we're baptized, have his power, divine power. We have a touch that's, that's, that's more powerful than the touch of King Midas. Midas could turn anything to gold. We turn things to glory. Hmm. A beautiful way to end the conversation. The book, again, is Seven Revolutions, How Christianity Changed the World and Can Change It Again. We've been talking to the co-author, Mike Aquilina. And Mike, where can listeners find out more about you or perhaps pick up a copy of this book or one of your many others? Fathersofthechurch.com. Thanks for listening to the Best of the Sunrise Morning Show. 
I'm Anna Mitchell. We'll be right back. Born from the heart of St. Daniel Comboni, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most abandoned people in the world for more than 150 years. The Combonis improve quality of life with resources like food, clean water, and medicine. They provide vital education in schools and spiritually minister through the sacraments, all while preparing local Christian leaders to serve their people now and in the future. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and Put some money back into your wallet at the same time. This, um, this idea of the true look, looking at the papacy in with real lies uh, through Professor Plinio Correa de Oliveira with uh, the TFP and his yeah, declaration yeah, yeah. Of, uh, of resistance. He says, the church is not and the church never was and the church never will be such a prison for consciousness. The bond of obedience to the successor of Peter, which we will never break, which we venerate in the most profound depths of our souls and to which we tribute our highest love. This bond we kiss at the very moment in which, overwhelmed with sorrow, we affirm our position and on our knees, respectfully looking at the figure of His Holiness Pope Paul VI, we express our fidelity to the papacy. In this filial act, we say to the pastor of pastors, our soul is yours, our life is yours. Order us to do whatever you desire. Only do not order us to do nothing in the face of the attacking red wolf. To this, our conscience is opposed. And then gives the explanation of his uh, act of recognize and resist. And that really struck me as, okay, well, you can have a love for the papacy, a love for the current reigning pontiff, and yet you can resist whenever he is violating your well-formed conscience. What say you? Yeah, that's about, I mean, that's the, the correct thing is that you're, you have to be clear you're doing this because, you, you know, it, it's easy for people who they feel, they feel betrayed, right? Uh, and they get angry. And I've gone through this. You let that, you can let that anger really warp your mind. And if it comes down, if you go down that route, yeah, you can fall away from the faith. And so it's, it's a difficult thing morally uh, and intellectually to deal with. And that's, again, part of the reason I wrote the essay was to give people like, Hey, look, you're not crazy. <laughs> you're not crazy. Something's wrong here. Um, but it is not necessary without precedent. And, and you know, that statement you mentioned was actually very good that like, you impose in conscious, you do it because you believe sincerely believe this is true and not that. And not because, because I, I get, I know people who've just, they've let it go. They let their, let themselves go emotionally, their passions go. And it just turns to hate and like, it's just, it's a bad thing. I always have to keep charity. Charity is the first, charity yeah. is a, it to me is like an intellectual virtue because you can't think clearly unless you, if you're hate, violently hatred toward mm. hating towards them. And as I said at the top of the uh, conversation, ultramontane means over the mountains. It has its historical roots in going over the mountains uh, to seek clarification from the Pope, uh, and that sort of that the trend grew. And of course, it goes all the way back, right? I mean, you go back to uh, to the earliest uh, church in the first century, 
like it was like the third pope wrote a letter to the Corinthians, like Clement of Rome, and he's like, listen, you Corinthians, there's a reason why St. Paul is smacking you upside the head, you knucklehead. I mean, like, uh, so what gave him the right, the authority to do so? He f- certainly felt he had that as being the successor of Peter. So it's not like it was invented uh, in the Protestant Reformation. But it was th- this montane, uh, ultramontane uh, controversy did get to a somewhat of a of a fevered pitch during Vatican One. Tell us about that. Oh yeah, that's um, what happened. I point this out in the article is that people had made you know not just you know reason claims for the exalted power of the papacy in the past, but they'd made you know rhetorical claims that were kind of crazy in the Middle Ages and stuff like this. But it was always between elites. It was always among the educated. What happens in the 19th century that's very different is that for the first time you have, a, a you know, a, the, the printing press, right, that can reach, you know, a mass audience. And you have these you have these um, you have these news people um, who. Uh, who create the sort of popular first popular Catholic press that tries to reach the masses. And one of the people I mentioned there is very famous. His name's Louis Vuillot, and he's a Frenchman. And he actually did some good for the church. He actually did some good things. But the rhetoric he used in the run-up to Vatican I to try to, to try to basically destroy opposition to the definition of papal fallibility within the church, I, I list some of that stuff in the, in the article. It's really... It's insane. I mean, if you take it literally, it's idolatry. It's just straight up like people were referring to the Pope as the vice God on earth. Um, there's a nice there's a nice uh, quotation in there from uh, Kivilta Catholica, the Jesuit uh, journal, which I think it, the, the quote is, uh, whenever the Pope meditates, it's God who is thinking directly through him. <laughs> Again, this was this wow. was this was meant to sort of demonize mm-hmm. any opposition to this definition. And there were people who were good Catholics who were opposed to that definition. John Henry Newman is the most famous one. And he wasn't opposed to the action. He believed that. He believed the things that Vatican I taught even before it taught it. He was worried about the context of it, whether it was the right time for it and all that stuff. In fact, I didn't mention this in the article. Actually, uh, Pius IX wasn't convinced this was the right thing to do. His, his advisors were very... They were very extreme, <laughs> and they basically sort of convinced him to do this, to call the council for that reason. The, but documents of Vatican I, I think, are for the most part great, actually, so I'm not casting aspersions on them. But the rhetoric that, that sort of sold this to the Catholic population, it could be like the stuff I quoted in the article. It, it's crazy. When I first read it, I was my eyeballs went, I'm like, this is, this is nuts. <laughs> I thought Dr. Derek Taylor, because we got to go to a break. So just after this short break, we're going to join Dr. Derek Taylor and finish this conversation about ultramontanism. And on the other side of the break, after the interview with Dr. Derek Taylor, we're going to be talking to Gabriel Castillo about prayer, perseverance and prayer. How do we pray well? All that and more is coming up on Catholic Drive Time. So stay tuned with us. And remember, today is a pre-report show, so tomorrow we'll be back live in studio. We're often told that so long as sexual activity is performed between consenting adults, there's nothing morally wrong with what's done. Is this a reasonable way of morally evaluating sexual behavior? I don't think so, and here's why. First, such reasoning justifies disturbing acts like that of Ormond Mivis, who butchered and ate a willing victim that responded to an advertisement placed on the Internet. 
I don't think we want to say consensual cannibalism is okay. Second, the assertion arbitrarily picks consent as the only aspect of nature's design for sex as having any moral significance. If we must reverence nature's design for consensual sex, then why is it okay to not reverence nature's design for procreation? If it's okay to reject one, well then it's okay to reject the other. So rather than reverencing consensual sex, this argument undermines it. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Men, it's time. Participate in the next National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood on Saturday, October 15th, 11.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. in Boston. There is a man connected to every abortion. Men are a big part of the problem, and it's time for all men to take responsibility and be a big part of the solution. All men of goodwill are invited to participate in the march, and everyone else is needed to show up for the rally beginning at 2 p.m. outside of the State House. For more information, go to themensmarch.com and spread the word. <laughs> and they basically sort of convinced him to do this, to call the council for that reason. The, but documents of Vatican I, I think, are from those part great, actually, so I'm not casting any aspersions on them. But the rhetoric that, that sort of sold this to the Catholic population, it could be like the stuff I quoted in the article. It, it's crazy. When I first read it, I was my eyeballs went, I'm like, this is, this is nuts. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's where you get a lot of this exaggeration coming from in the modern era is just... You know, it, mass media is very powerful, mm-hmm. and um, and a lot of times, even in the 19th century, uh, Pius the Ninth he passed away after his death. Leo the Thirteenth tried to put the clamps on some of those those ultramontane um, newspapers because they were so extreme. <laughs> um, even the Leo the Thirteenth was a great pope, he was, you know, perfect orthodox and everything. So yeah, that's really what does it, uh, and that makes it different in the modern era. Yeah, you know, there seems to be an echo there, you know, with the printing press, development of the printing press, uh, you know, came the accessibility of different documents. People were able to receive all kinds of different things and read different opinions and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about the the modern era, though. You know, uh, now technology is so widespread. We have just the world in our pocket, really, in, in our cell phones. Um, how do you think that the, uh, the this concept is is reborn in our, our, our modern society today? with so much technology and and the capacity to have conversations like we're having uh, really uh, instantaneously. It's kind of this, it's actually, it's weird. There's a lot of continuity because it's, it's different. Like a hundred years ago, it's vastly different, but in some ways it's, there's, it's similar because it's just much more powerful technology. It's like, it's just instantaneous. The same, you know, I did my, 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 uh, my graduate work, my dissertation was on, you know, pamphleteering in the 17th century. And even you go back that far, the promise of the printing press or the promise of, of modern media is, okay, you have, the chance to disseminate information more widely. The problem is you can disseminate false information more widely. Mm. That's the whole idea of fake news, right? Like you can, you can, you, in the ancient world, if you wanted to damage someone's reputation, if you wanted to, you know, the, uh, 
for example, the ancient Roman Empire, they would do something called what modern historians call the Demnatio Memoriae. They would take your name off of all the public buildings, strike your name from records. Records were so scarce back then you could do that. Well, you can't do that now. But what you can do is, is perpetuate a false narrative mm-hmm. over and over again. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. And that was the point I was kind of trying to make in the essay. Is like it's it's it, it, it's something you have to be careful with. Uh, and even, you know, this in this pontificate, you'd had the papacy complaining about web right-wing websites and all this other stuff. And, like, <laughs> that's just something you have to deal with if you're the papacy. You can't control, ultimately, the image you put out there, it's going to, you're going to be have people uh, trying to sort of, you know, uh, undermine that one way or the other. And that's been the case since at least the Reformation, right? Because the Reformation did that, too. The printing press was uh, was essential to that. It's just something we have to deal with. We don't have much choice. Just as a follow up to that, you know, I'm wondering if I could get your take on this, because this is this is something that I've thought about. And um Maybe, maybe it's not just a coincidence, right? Well, there's a rise in Catholic commentators today. Like you can think of big names like Taylor Marshall, uh, mm-hmm. RTF, et cetera, et cetera. They do have a lot of influence, um, mostly for good, I would say. And I mm-hmm. think that there, there is sort of a, a group of people in the Vatican who pay attention to this sort of stuff. And I'm just wondering, do you think that because of the rise of big Catholic commentators who, really uh criticize the 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 papacy uh rightfully so uh, do you think that that has uh, created the sort of response that the vatican has against uh like uh, traditionalists like traditionis custodis like putting that out and that that sort of thing what, what do you think about that uh, yeah, at least in part. I mean, um, most of the the uh, I did mention this in my my uh, essay. Most of the not most. There's been other other places, but the the mo- biggest pushback uh, toward uh, this papacy, some of its you know more questionable aspects, has come from the United States. Mm-hmm. So, and that's where you, we have a big, huge, huge media presence. Yeah, you know, the thing is, in the United States, we have more money, so we have time to go do all this stuff. And so, yeah. that's one of the reasons I think traditionalism flourishes here. Is, you know, it takes takes some money to do the traditional mass and everything. We have that in the United States, but yeah, almost certainly they. I, I think I, I don't know how much they pay attention to it. I mean, it's weird that you think they would weird they wouldn't bother with like bloggers and stuff like that or youtube mm-hmm. celebrities but <laughs> yeah. they do and you know again I, I go back to leo the 13th he did with all these newspapers in the 19th century so they they learned well they learned because you know the press was a part of all these revolutions you know the french yeah. revolution the, mm-hmm. and that that, that pre- they learned the press had power and you had to pay attention to it so it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's the case because yeah people like you know taylor marshall got millions of viewers on youtube and these people have influence you know, I'm just thinking while you're saying that, that it's the thing that bothers me the most is the fact that I feel like I'm being, well, the term has become popular, being gaslit, right? <laughs> Gaslighting. And so people are like, what? No, nothing's changed. No doctrine has been changed. It's like, yeah. but, and then I'm thinking most specifically of the death penalty. I got in trouble for talking about the death penalty in college. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, 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 you can't say that the death penalty is, is perfectly fine. That's uh, against the church teaching. And I'm like, but, but the Pope used to have a papal executioner, but, yeah. <laughs> but popes have executed people, but we promoted it, but it's in the Bible. And, and people are trying to tell me, and I'm just like confused. And it took me a while to actually understand what was going on. And so that push from the media to try to say, don't believe your lying eyes. That's what bothers me the most about this position that the Pope's authority is over the doctrine, over scripture, over everything else. 
Right? And that's, again, that's one of the, there are people, especially the supporters of Francis, the media supporters, I, quite frankly, some of them are just very dishonest. They're just very dishonest. Yeah, one of them passed uh, away so, just recently. <laughs> the, what's that? The, one of them just passed away recently, the atheist who, uh, oh, yeah, Scalfari. yeah, Scalafari. Yeah, God help his soul. Um, uh, and he had, yeah, and there are just people who do this, and it's just very, like, it's just, mm -hmm. you wonder what goes through their mind, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you've got an agenda. And again, there, I think as I've met, I've talked with very liberal people in the church who aren't like that. Like, they're they're more on, they're not, they're, they, I think they're totally wrong. I think they're yeah. basically embracing it. But they're not, they're not lying to me. Right. And that's the worst part when you feel like someone's being intentionally dishonest. The other thing, yeah, the other aspect I think to this conversation I think is important to bring up is one could criticize uh, what they see coming from statements from the Pope or what have you, uh, and at the same time not hate him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I th it, we get lumped into uh, these extremes. Like, you must therefore hate everything and therefore burn the whole thing down. Like, no, mm -mm. one could no, one could have great charity and love for a person and still call them out on on these errors and these issues. And I think that's kind of where we're at with with a lot of what comes out of the Vatican. It's like we are we love the church. We love Holy Mother Church. We want the best for Pope Francis, for the cardinals, for for everybody involved. But at the same time, we just don't want error being taught. I'm slight, that's the thing is you and, and if you are and because I've I've gone through this I've people, I know people who've gone through this you have to pray for these people you have to pray for Pope Francis you can't and the reason I have to pray is at least partly for yourself you can't really hate somebody if you're praying for them right yeah and that's what, that's what God calls you to do anyway uh, with anyone mm -hmm. and that's why it's a good thing to do and yeah you you, you can't do it. It, it 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 ceases to be legitimate criticism. And then it becomes something mm -hmm. else if you, if you do that. And so, yeah, and, and look, most people I know, are, they're not hateful against him at all. They're right. just they're just distressed that he's doing all this stuff. Yeah, but exactly. It's, it's really, right. Lack of clarity is very confusing for these times. And, uh, you know, the other thing, too, is like uh, the, 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 the biblical text that I go to to discuss the, uh, the, you know, the role of the Pope in the church you know, you go back to the Old Testament, Isaiah 20, or you go Ma Matthew 16, but you go to these other passages like Matthew 24 or whatever, and you realize it becomes clear that the, the Lord knew that he was going to have men that were going to be scandalous. They would beat the servants, but he would show up and he'd lay the law and it would be the guy with the keys that'd be the most in trouble. So it's not like our Lord is deaf, dumb, or blind to what goes on in his church, because it's his taint theirs, right? Amen? Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Derek Taylor, God bless you. Thank you for your time today. Check out his article at Crisis Magazine. The article is uh, Has Modern, Modern Media Created the Ultramontane Papacy? Praise be to God. What a great interview. And if you want to go back and watch that interview or share it, you can go to our YouTube channel. Just look up Dr. Derek Taylor Catholic Drive Time on YouTube and you'll find it right there. But let's jump into the interview without any delay with Gabriel Castillo talking about perseverance in prayer. How can we pray better? All this with the great Gabriel Castillo. We were just talking about uh, the, the tour of His Holiness yes. in Canada. And, you know, thinking about uh, how we, you know, evangelize yes. native peoples. Uh, my own historical background, uh, genetic background, goes back to Scotland and uh, further back to Ireland. Yes. And um, that explains your kilt right now, huh? Yeah, you're, you're <laughs> kilting me. At any rate, uh, you know, uh, not very well catechized yes. peoples all throughout the right. northern part, you know, Sweden, Norway, Greenland. 
all, all of those fell super fast yes. in the Reformation yes. because their Catholicism was paper thin. Yes. Our own clan fought for the Catholic uh, Stuart House uh, at Culloden, um, but uh, was fond of uh, kidnapping, murder, and pillaging yes. its uh, fellow clansmen. You know, so not very Catholic, even though they went to Mass. And uh, let me give you another stat, then I want to uh, get you to comment here. I was seeing this, I was watching this morning, uh, you know, what was trending on Twitter, but I also saw divorce rates on Twitter. And in Europe, uh, I found it fascinating. The countries with the highest level of divorce rates in 2019 in Europe, Portugal, Spain, France, um, and these are "Quote unquote Catholic countries, Macedonia is on the lowest. I mean, Saint wow. Paul did go there, so praise be right. to God for that. Um, in America, our divorce rate is declining. That's only because we're not marrying anybody right. anymore. We're not baptizing them. We're not marrying them. They're cohabitating. Right. Um, the world seems to be uh, wanting to self-destruct around yes. us. Very dark times, and we're always on the precipice." But what can we do about it? Yes. So I am thoroughly convinced, especially here lately, as I've been reflecting on my own life, that we are not doing Christianity correctly. I'm sure that you've heard this quote by St. Uh, Catherine of Siena. Mm-hmm. A lot of people use it in their email at the very bottom. It says, if you are who God created you to be, you will set the world on fire. And that's a very sweet little quote to look at. But if we're being honest, and when I would read that, it'd be like an examination of conscience stabbing me in the heart because I'm not who God created me to be just based on the fact that I'm not setting the world on fire. You mentioned St. Paul. Why was he so successful? What did St. Paul have that I don't have? And if you look at the promises of Jesus in the New Testament, he says, I have come to set the world on fire. Mm -hmm. So we're supposed to be other Christs, of course. Why aren't we doing that? If you look at Christ's promise that we should have living water living in inside of us that is going to well up from within us. Why don't I have that? When our Lord left the apostles, he said, those who are followers of mine, they shall cast out demons. They'll tread upon serpents. They'll drink poison. They'll heal the sick. They'll cast out demons. Why don't I have that? And a lot of people will say, well, that was just something for the early church. You know, <laughs> that's what people say when you're not doing it because you're lacking something. They say, oh, it's only for a pagan time. Brothers and sisters, Look around. we are living in <laughs> Horrible pagan times. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievers everywhere. It would be good if the Holy Spirit would keep the promises of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that the problem is with Jesus. And I don't think <laughs> it's the problem is with the Holy Spirit. And I don't think the problem is with the sacraments. The problem is us. And when I say that most of us are not doing Christianity right, it's because we, a lot of times, can see our faith as, am I doing the prayers? Am I saying the stuff? Am I doing the things? Am I going to this uh, devotion? Am I going to that devotion? Am I going to this mass? I'm going to that church. And we lose sight of what is the point. Why did Jesus, if I were to ask the average Christian or Catholic, what are you going to ask the average Christian? We'll be right back with that. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, the Catholic view of marriage may be an ideal, but it cannot be a reality? Well, G.K. Chesterton says, it is an ideal in a diseased society, it is a reality in a healthy society. For where it is real, it makes society healthy. 
We know we cannot make a perfectly healthy society because while we believe in marriage and the church, we also believe in something called the fall of man, which also has an effect on society. But the point is that we believe not just in an ideal, but in something practical. Practical in the sense that we want to make something. We want to create Christian families as opposed to those who are always ready to destroy the family, who give up on the ideal and give in to whatever is easiest at the moment. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. Hi, this is Pam Stenzel. Come participate in the next National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood on Saturday, October 15th in Boston. Men gather outside of the Planned Parenthood on Commonwealth at 11.30 a.m. for the march, and then everyone else show up at the 2 p.m. rally outside of the Statehouse, where I'll be speaking about the need to value and protect every pre-born baby from fertilization. For more information, go to themensmarch.com and spread the word. Most of us are not doing Christianity right. It's because we, a lot of times, can see our faith as, am I doing the prayers? Am I saying the stuff? Am I doing the things? Am I going to this uh, devotion? Am I going to that devotion? Am I going to this mass? Am I going to that church? And we lose sight of what is the point. Why did Jesus, if I were to ask the average Christian or Catholic, why did Jesus die on the cross? The number one answer back to me would be to forgive our sins so we could go to heaven. And I guess in a vague sense, that's true. I guess so, but that's not why he did it. He died on the cross for unity with us. We receive the Holy Eucharist, why? Union with God. What is heaven? Union with God. St. Paul was so successful because he said, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. What did he mean by that? Mm. What did he mean by that? If you were to look at the Gospel of Mark chapter 17, when he issues this crazy command to cast out demons, walk on serpents, drink poison, all these things, the next verse after says, and then the Lord worked with them. And then when you talk to some of the saints, uh, if you hear the writings of some of the saints, if you hear testimonies of their miracles, and you'll say, oh, Padre Pio, you worked a miracle. And he would say, I did not work any miracle. It was Jesus. And the reality is, is how can I step into this type of lifestyle? Very simple. We give the one thing that hurts us to give the most, and that's our will. Mm. We can say, uh, I'm follower of Christ, and we can do our will all day long. You can be a priest, you can be a religious who live a life of poverty, chastity, and obedience, and still live for yourself, still be a priest for yourself, still be a monk for yourself. But when you hand over your life to God and say, not my will be done, but thy will be done, when you ask God on a daily basis in the morning, you wake up, Lord, what do you want of me to do today? And a lot of times we do that at major stepping stones in our life, major decisions. We try to see what is your will, what is going to be best for, for me. But again, it's very self-interested. It's very me-centered. You really have to come to a point in your life, and it's, it's a daily thing. It's As you know, it's a daily morning, afternoon, evening thing where you stop and you say, Jesus, what is your will? I can't do this anymore. I want to do what you want to do. And when you do that, a lot of things happen. That's when you step into the power of God. That's when the fire of the Holy Spirit can live in you, is when you pause and you say, what do you want? And I'll share with you four things that will happen when you do that on a regular basis. Number one, you're going to have peace of soul. Our souls were all created by God. We're all the same in this. We're created to do God's will and to only be satisfied by God. 
people will say, well, I'm different. What's good for you? And to a certain degree, no, because we're all made in the image and likeness of God, and we have a God-sized hole in our heart. But that doesn't, again, just doesn't just mean saying the prayers. It means doing the, walking the walk. But also, I was created particular vocation for a particular mission for a specific circumstance and set in time. And when I begin to follow that path, and I hear the voice of the Lord say, follow me here, and you begin to follow, you have peace of soul when you're poor, when you're hungry, when you're tired, that you would not have if you were not listening to the voice of Christ that echoes in your conscience. The second thing that you will get is it will make you holy. Happiness and holiness are synonymous. When you're doing God's will, when you're united to Him, it gives you sanctity. It gives you sanctification. Maximilian Colby, as you know, he's a great lover of both of ours. He has a quote that he used to explain the Immaculate Conception and Mary's role. But it was, the will of God, capital W, when I sacrifice my will for God's will, that equals S, sanctity. Mm. And so it applies to our everyday life. To be holy does not necessarily mean saying the prayers. I say the prayers. I do the stuff, all the Catholic things. I do them to the max. I try. But, no pun intended, but... (laughs) I have to give my will to his will. And when I do that, then I can see the power of God flowing through me. Another thing that it does is that God wants to use me for salvation. God wants to save others. And he shows us this throughout the Gospels. He, he came to Mary. Why? So that she could participate in salvation of other people. He wanted the apostles. Why? So that they could participate in the salvation of other people. If I follow God's will, God will use me for the salvation of other people. And then after the break, we'll talk about that last right. most critical thing. So yeah. Let's get back to one of the point other, number four. Yeah, point number four: the benefits of asking on a regular basis and doing, Lord, what is Your will? So, in addition to sanctification, in addition to peace of soul, in addition to God helping you to participate in your own little way, it doesn't mean you're going to be a missionary. It doesn't mean you're going to go on the radio. But it means that where you're at in the present moment, God is going to work with you to touch the individuals that are in your family, that are in your workplace, and that is. His providence. If God asks you to do something, and this is where we're going to have to have a little bit of confidence and a little bit of faith, even you would might say heroic confidence. If God asks you to do something, you can be very assured that he's going to give you the tools necessary to do it. You will have the protection and the provision of God's providence. You will have the power and the assistance of the Holy Spirit. And that is what's going to be the major player in impacting other people. And just for a quick example, we can look at the life of the Blessed Virgin. Virgin Mary. She was perfectly united to the will of God. She went to go visit her cousin Elizabeth. And if you read the text carefully, people will say, well, it was Jesus greeting John the Baptist, and that was the sanctification that happened. But that's not what Elizabeth says. She says, from the moment your greeting reached my ears, that means Mary was participating, was united to the will of the Holy Spirit. All she had to do was a work of mercy to go visit her cousin. That action itself converted, sanctified the child in the womb, caused Elizabeth to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so to us, we don't necessarily always have to be preaching the gospel to our neighbor, but if it's God's will that we bring lunch to our co-worker, that they know we're Catholic, we're doing this extraordinary act in our mind of faith by bringing them lunch or doing whatever else our conscience is pricking us to do. The Holy Spirit works through that action of love, and they are converted. They are more disposed to hear the message that we have for them. 
So how do I know what God's will is? How do I recognize God's voice? Number one, what is your state in life? What are the duties that you have to do to get the job done in the present moment? Again, it's all about our attitude. Do I do this because I have to? Do I do this because it benefits me? Or do I have a purity of intention that I say, you know what, this is my job, this is where God wants me to sanctify myself in the present moment. Am I wiping the baby's butt because it's dirty and I have to? And I'm a good mom, or am I wipe? Am I trying to wipe the baby's butt in a way that says, "Blessed Mother, I'm uniting myself to you, Lord Jesus. I, I'm doing this out of love for you. Look how much I love you. I'm wiping this bottom so clean it's shiny. <laughs> I'm getting up in the middle of the night when the children are sick out of love for you. Help me to do it with your grace, with your peace. It's it's an example of the little way of Saint Therese, but Saint Therese recognized, and we often misconstrue what she meant. Saint Therese was saying, "Lord, love this sister through me." Lord, I need your love. You fill me. Let me participate in your saving action. So what are my duties of the present moment? Also, the Catechism of the Catholic Church says that our conscience, when it's well-formed, will alert us to the will of God in the present moment. If you see an old lady and she's putting her bags in the grocery from the grocery and it starts to rain and she her, her hands are full, your conscience tugs on you to say, go, you don't hear words in your head, but you feel a tugging on your heart. Go help that lady. Now you might say, I don't know her. She's going to think it's weird. And you come up with all these things in your head, but God pulls on the heart. We have to pause throughout the day and say, Lord, what is this? What do you want me to do? What is your mission? Is my family God's family? Is my work God's work? How do I see all of these activities? Am I willing to let go? Because as humans, we have concupiscence. We have a natural disorder. It's not natural. It's a disordered inclination, but it happens very easily. The disordered inclination to claim everything for myself. And that's why our Lord says, you have to deny yourself. You have to give everything to me. And when you do that, you will see extraordinary change. But again, it requires prayer. It requires pausing and having rec recollection, pausing and saying, God is around me. God is in my soul. I'm in the state of grace. Lord, what do you want? How am I supposed to live in you? But what if... What if you're you're doing the prayers? Yes. You're doing the things, yes. right? You're spending time in adoration. Yes. You're like begging the Lord, please, yes, please give me a signaling grace. Please yes. shore me up. Yes. Please help me understand. I've, yes. I'm lost. I need your help. But you don't hear anything. Yes. You don't get a response. You don't get any signaling graces. Right. And you're left to figure it out for yourself. Yes. What do you do then? So God in the catechism assures us God will reveal his will in the present moment. So I'm going to answer that question because sometimes in the present moment, we're still left high and dry. Mm. But a lot of the times... We're worried about what's happening in the future. You're worried about paying the bills next week, and we, the money's not here now. God is saying, and this is what I get in prayer, are you drowning right now? You're worried about drowning next week. Are you drowning right now? Are you suffocating right now? Are you starving right now? I will give you what you need when you need it. And that is part of the walk of faith. That's what I said, that when you're doing God's will, you have to have trust and confidence, confide. You have to have faith that God is going to provide. And, and you have to have hope, and it's not normal hope. The average Christian, when things are going great, we all have a little bit of a swagger knowing mm. that our Lord is watching over us. But what our Lord is calling us to is a heroic hope, a heroic hope that says, as things get worse, my confidence doesn't stay down here. My confidence goes higher. I'm about, I, I can't pay the bills next week. It, 
all human effort is failing me right now, I mean, that means that God is definitely going to help me. As the circumstance get worse, my hope gets higher and I stand more firm. And so, and I've gone through this, you've gone through this, we've all gone through this. I pray, I beg, I'm saying, God, I'm listening, and he's still not answering. Mm. So you have to be resolute in his promises from sacred scripture. Does he not watch over the lilies of the field? Does he not watch over the birds of the sky? Are you not more valuable than these creatures? And you have to say, if God, I know God has the power to help me. Why is he being silent? And then we have to stop and say, okay, Lord, I know you're present. I know you're watching me. I'm your child. You have the power to heal. You have the power to do all of these things. Why aren't you doing it for me Don't now? go anywhere. More of Gabriel Castillo after this short break. We'll see you then on Catholic Drive Time. Hi, this is Father Stephen Imbarato. Join us in Boston for the next National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood on Saturday, October 15th. Men, we will gather outside the Planned Parenthood to begin the march, and then we're going to meet everyone else for a 2 p.m. rally outside of the State House, where I'll be speaking about constitutional personhood for the pre-born and where we need to go from here. For more information, go to themensmarch.com. Again, details, mensmarch.com. Join us and spread the word. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Your only daughter met a fine young man who was a committed Mormon. She now wants to join his church. What's your answer? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a reason for no. Doctrinal positions such as the deity of Jesus and the Trinity. Your reason for yes. You deem seemingly moral character as superseding biblical truth. Secondly, orthodoxy. Your answer is probably no. But how and why? Your resistance to Mormon doctrine does not just come straight down from the Bible. It comes from the first five centuries of brilliant theologians, bishops, and popes. These Catholics wrote, debated, and fought for truth. Example, in 250 AD, 311, and 417, three different popes excommunicated three different heretics, Sibelius, Arius, and Pelagius. They denied the Trinity, the eternal deity of Jesus, or taught that human effort warranted salvation. Would your pastor excommunicate a heretic? Well, unfortunately, your pastor can only remove someone from his local congregation. But that's okay. That guy will probably end up being welcomed at a church down the street. I know you're watching me. I'm your child. You have the power to heal. You have the power to do all of these things. Why aren't you doing it for me now? And then, no, this could be a season of silence. Why? Because in that season, he's teaching you something. You might be thinking, I need this money to come in from somewhere. I need this, this job to work out for me. And he might be saying, maybe I want to call you to a different path. You're looking for jobs in this specter or this realm. I want to provide for you in a whole new way. And usually, most often, when we encounter a cross in our life and the worries that we have, they rarely play out the way that we imagine them in our mind. And God works to our favor in all things. That's the infallible word of God. All things work for the good of those who love the Lord. They're just not working out in the way that we imagine. So, for example, I know many of your listeners, they're, they're worried about the church. I'm worried about the church. And God is saying it might not, it, things might not be working out the way that would be ideal. Our leadership would be strong men yeah. fighting for salvation of souls, dropping all this social justice stuff that is important, but not as important as saving souls. And God is saying, I see that. They're not doing what I want, but guess what? I ride straight with crooked paths. You put your nose to the ground, do my will in the present moment, and you're going to be astonished at the way this is going to work out because you're going to be on top and they're going to be at the bottom. And we're going to save who we need to save, but I need you. 
I need you. And the church often will say, well, if we just have 12 apostles, we don't need 12 apostles. We only needed one Virgin Mary, one small girl willing to do the will of God when all of the prophets, all of these other great uh, stereotypes from the Old Testament failed. We just need one person to succeed. Mm -hmm. And that person brings the fire of the Holy Spirit, and then it spreads. That's what our Lord said when he meant to, I'm going to bring fire to the earth, that I'm going to bring a faith that is contagious, and you just got to have it, and other people will set on fire. You just got to deny yourself day by day. That's the hard part, though. Yeah, it is, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, in my own personal prayer life, there are so many uh, desires that I have. These are good things. These Mm -hmm. aren't like bad desires. I'm not talking about like, you know, uh, concupiscent desires. I'm talking about, you know, good things. On the surface, they're perfectly fine things. You know, uh, Colorado uh, backcountry elk hunting, for for example. (laughs) Uh, But it doesn't seem God's will for me to be able to pursue or to enjoy these desires. It's hard for me to say, well, then I give up on them. Right. Like, that's hard. Yes, it is. It's very difficult, but that's why our Lord chose the cross. A lot of times as Christians, we see victory as prosperity, um, easy life, but that's not what the cross was all about. Our Lord chose the cross to identify with us. Because of the fall of Adam and Eve, suffering comes, sickness comes, death comes, poverty comes. But what the cross allows us to do is to have peace of soul despite those things. And in fact, Christians are going to be known because they're embracing these things and are still joyful. But our Lord loves you, and He wants to give you the things necessary temporally too. Our Lord, our hope is not just in salvation and in spirituality. Our Lord promises, "He who follows Me, He who gives up mother or father, I will repay them a hundred times in this life." Mm. And you will have things that more than. And, and a lot of times we always boil this back down to money. But God will give you a peace of soul. God will give you experiences that money can't buy. That, that people who are very wealthy could would dream of the of the life that us poor folks have because we have children that love us we yeah. have experiences we have intimacy we have a peace that that surpasses all understanding and yeah the storms come but in the present moment you will always have that peace so you're doing God's will and there's no money you, it's not your fault and you can have peace of soul knowing I'm doing what you wanted Lord I followed your will. Here I am. This is your problem. You deal with it. And there's no greater feeling, at least in my part, to saying, I have a problem, but it's your fault, Lord. You deal with it, and I'm confident that you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, you asked a very good question earlier. What if I can't hear the voice of God? Well, a lot of times, and this is just God's will, God wills that we have a mother. And the voice of Mary, her soul magnifies the Lord, inspired word of God, infallible. So, when we go to Our Lady, especially, she will help us to hear God's voice. Mary is nothing but sweetness, nothing but love. She wants us to do God's will. It is God's will that we have her as a help, helpmate, that we do everything with, in, and through her. God's voice in our conscience becomes more clear when we are with her. And that's why her favorite prayer is a rosary. And so all of this to say, because you know everything always leads up to the rosary with me, <laughs> is that the rosary is not a prayer to feel good about yourself. Sometimes you do. By the time you're done, you feel great about it. But what it is, and this is what puts our prayers and our sacraments in perspective, if the prayers are supposed to unite me to the will of God, if the sacraments are supposed to unite me to God, the rosary helps me to kill my will, helps me to refocus on the Lord and His mission. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about last hour, part, part of the conversation was uh, His Holiness's uh, you know, tour of Canada. He's landed in Canada over the weekend, and he is... Uh, beginning, to, he calls it a penitential tour, and there's so much 
um, conversation, commentary about uh, what the church's faults were and yes. its missionary zeal in Canada, yes. but also here in the United States. Yes. Like, uh, you know, tearing down Junipero Serra statues in, right. in California, for instance. I mean, like, this is utterly absurd to yeah. me, considering the life of Junipero Serra, who walked 20,000 miles, right. uh, defended the indigenous peoples when they killed a friar. Right. He went to bat for them so that they wouldn't be executed. Um, he he spent his life in service of the gospel and of the people whom he served. And still today, they want to destroy and tarnish that reputation. Um, but, college whiz, what could we have done different? You know, I feel personally we should never, ever, ever apologize for evangelizing the world. We should not apologize for wanting to make people Catholics yes. uh, and to work towards their own salvation. So we shouldn't be apologizing for these things, but what could we have done different so that the missions would not have turned out as bad as they did? Yeah, so one of the things that struck me in the last hour, you were talking about your native lands and how quickly they fell because of the lack of catechesis. And then I didn't know this, but I looked over on your desk and you have a statue of Our Lady of Good Help. So there's uh, many yeah. people do not are not aware. People travel all over the world to see Marian apparitions, but there's a local Marian apparition, and local I mean it's in the United States, that happened in Wisconsin just outside, about 20, 30 minutes outside of Green Bay. Yeah. It was approved in 2010. It happened around the same time as Our Lady of Lourdes, so it's a little bit older, but in God's providence, it was not approved until 2010 there. Mm -hmm. And the message of that lady is... I think the message that we're supposed to accept today because it became publicly accepted and widespread, or not even widespread because barely nobody knows about it, but the message <laughs> for today mm -hmm. is you must, you must, you must, you must catechize your children. This is her message. Catechize the children. Teach them what is necessary for salvation. Mm -hmm. That That is something that is lacking in most Catholic education, most catechetical programs, they're not evangelizing for salvation. They're trying to woo the children with good feelings, and that's that's just not going to work because our no. Lord did not come to woo us with good feelings. Right. He made people hungry. He had take up your cross and all these you know, rough things that are not going to be satisfied by the human flesh, because the world will do that better to satisfy the flesh. So where's the balance then? I yeah. mean, like uh, some of the complaints were, well, they didn't let us speak our native tongue in these boarding schools in Canada. Good. Should yes. we should yes. we prevent when we encounter people? Should we prevent? I saw uh, Alaric in our commentary on uh, Odyssey is saying his grandmother was prevented from speaking German in American schools, right. for instance. That had, I'm not sure that had anything to do with with the yes. church or catechism, but uh, should we like? Where's the line between? Yes. Uh, accepting people where they're at in their culture yes. and getting rid of their pagan identities. What I like about you is you have the answers all around your physical person. <laughs> so if you, you can't see this if you're not watching on the live stream. Joe has Mary statues and he's got a beautiful, big, uh, brilliant image of Our Lady Guadalupe. So when the Franciscans were trying to convert the Aztecs, who were worshiping basically the devil, sacrificing and in a more pagan time than our own. So we murder our babies behind walls. These people were murdering their babies in public and holding them up and then eating them and things like that. So there's hope for us. So <laughs> the Franciscans they were evangelizing these Aztec people, or at least trying to. They honored the culture of the Aztecs as much as morally permissible, because the Aztecs viewed them as kind of these foreigners who are changing their lifestyle, bringing all these diseases. And the Franciscans who were 
and they weren't successful. Let's just be honest. They were not successful. They did try to honor whatever was possibly permitted to be baptized in the culture. They honored the language. They honored as much as they could the Aztec culture, but which is very little. But even those Franciscans failed in large part to evangelize. They had just a couple of converts, yeah. one of them being Juan Diego. Yeah. And so wh- who brought the widespread success? So as much as we must honor the culture, great. I don't know how much that's going to be relevant in converting souls. The major player in conversion all throughout history and all throughout the world, the pockets of faith are mm-hmm. those pockets that have the Virgin Mary in their life. Our Lady of Guadalupe, we see Our Lady of Guadalupe's image in the back of everybody's truck. At Fatima, Our Lady said that the faith will be preserved at Fatima. I don't necessarily know that she meant the physical location, Mm -hmm. but I think maybe that those who had a devotion to her Mm -hmm. would have a balanced view of prayer, salvation, what is the the purpose of... Our Lady of Fatima promised Portugal would would lose the faith, and yet they have some of the highest divorce rates in all of Europe. Yes, so I... think that the key in all of this is our evangelization efforts that are done within and through the Virgin Mary, because they can't truly be done unless Our Lady is really present in a very pronounced way to bring Christ into the world as she did in the beginning, Mm -hmm. as she will do at the end in in our times today. You know, um, speaking of Our Lady, so we have Mm -hmm. images of Our Lady here in front of us, some of which, like uh, the image over there on the wall across from me near Adrian Fonseca, is Our Lady of Levang. Yes, that's Uh, right. I have in front of me another image of Our Lady from uh, from China. Yes. It's a very beautiful image. You're making a great point, yes. It's very striking to me. Um, You know, of course, there's Our Lady of Guadalupe behind me. Hi, this is Larry Massey, owner of HolyBears.com and proud sponsor of AM1430, KSHJ Houston, Catholic Radio for the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. And Mary as Caucasians. Right. And I'm like, nobody actually believes that, that they're, they're from Sweden. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, you're the only one that has an issue here. But you I know? think you answered the question how much of a culture should we bring in to evangelize them? Our Lady answers the question. To Mexicans and to, Az- to Spanish and to Aztecs, she mm-hmm. appeared as a mixture of both. Yeah. To Africans, she appeared as an African. Right. So she did take on the skin color to give her message in that place. At Our Lady of Good Help, she's got blue eyes. So we Obviously, the Virgin Mary did not have blue eyes. Maybe she did. It was some miraculous eye color in, mm-hmm. uh, where she was alive with our Lord in the Holy Land. Mm-hmm. But I think Our Lady is giving us the hint that we must use the language and the culture to communicate. But we never, ever, ever water down the message. Yeah. So uh, I was also struck in 2005 <clears throat> when I went to, to Rome yes. uh, on pilgrimage. And I went to Mass with Pope Benedict XVI. I hate to cut you off, Joe. Actually, I'm just kidding. This is a pre-recorded episode. Nobody's in the studio. But we have to go. If you are watching on Station of the Cross, then have a great rest of your day. And hopefully, if you can tune in and stay with us for the next hour, well, then you can hear the rest of the interview with Gabriel Castillo talking about perseverance and prayer. Joe will talk about Pope Benedict. What was he going to say? Well, if you stay with us for the next hour, we will finish that interview with Gabriel Castillo after this short break. Okay, praise be to God. We'll see you back live in studio tomorrow morning. Everything will be back to normal, or will it? Relatively. So, we'll see you then on Catholic Drive Time. God love you. God bless you. And I'll see you then. 
Hi, this is Sister Dee Dee Byrne. Come participate in the next National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood on Saturday, October 15th in Boston. Men, gather outside of the Planned Parenthood on Commonwealth at 11.30 a.m. for the march. Everyone else, show up at the 2 p.m. rally outside of the State House, where I'll be speaking about the urgent need to be actively pro-life and pro-eternal life. For more information, go to themensmarch.com and please spread the word. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Can you really say you know what praying the rosary is all about? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, listen to the who's who of the rosary. We have the Blessed Trinity. We have the Angel Gabriel. We have the Virgin Mary. We have John the Baptist. And we have Elizabeth. So how's that for a cast of sacred ones? Secondly, reflection. While saying the rosary, we reflect on 20 primary and sacred moments that occur in the lives of the Holy Family. And thirdly, the rosary dynamics. Here's how you involve this cast of holy ones in praying the rosary. You first invoke the three persons of the Blessed Trinity. Then, on to praying the Apostles' Creed. Then you will pray in Our Father. Then you will recite the angel Gabriel's words to Mary. Then you'll recite what Mary said to Elizabeth. And then you will relive John the Baptist being filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Then you will ask for Mary's assistance in your life. And I'm so glad to say none of that is idolatry. Hi, this is Terry Beatley. Come participate in the next National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood on Saturday, October 15th in Boston. Men, gather outside of the Planned Parenthood on Commonwealth at 1130 for the march. And everyone else, show up at the 2 p.m. rally outside of the State House, where I'll be speaking about how America's abortion king pushed the lie of abortion on the American people. For more information, go to themensmarch.com. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox. Goodies that you're not going to want to miss. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT and get signed up today. Jesus Christ. This is Adrian Fonseca, your producer. Yes, Joe McClain is not here. Why? Well, because today's Labor Day. I'm not here either. In fact, this is a pre-recorded show, so that means no game show today. So don't call in, but don't you worry. We will be back tomorrow morning with our regularly scheduled programming. The game show will be in full force, so don't you worry. If you call in tomorrow, we'll have you on the game show. But today, hold off for now. You can just put that down, and if you want to write down the phone number so you can call in tomorrow to join the game show, well, just go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. But today is Labor Day, so we are playing pre-recorded interviews, some past interviews that I think were quite amazing. During this hour, we're going to be talking to Gabriel Castillo. We're going to finish that conversation with him that we started on the other side of the hour, the previous hour. And they're going to be talking about perseverance and prayer. And then after Gabriel Castillo, we are going to talk to Constantine about what is it like living in Russia? So all that and more is coming on Catholic Drive Time. And tomorrow we'll be back in studio with our regularly scheduled programming. Without further ado, Gabriel Castillo. And uh, there were people from all over the planet there. Yes. And that blew me away. I mean, it really did uh, speak to me about the universality of the church. And I I feel like that's now gone to the next level for me as I attend a a traditional live mass. And uh, our church, our little tiny little thing, you know, it's 
next to me are people who do not speak English. They speak Spanish yes. mostly, almost exclusively. We've got Africans there. We've got Asians there. I mean, people from all over. Yes. But we're all bound. We're all on the same page. Yes. We're all united in this universal church under the, the, the language of the church. And I'm, I find that beautiful. Yeah, I'm doing a, a series of documentaries. I'm trying, but it's you know, a little tough sometimes to do these projects on converts who like from Protestantism, who are naturally attracted to tradition in the Catholic Church. And what attracts them is this universality. People who convert to Catholicism, this might not be true of every single person, but the majority that I'm encountering, converts from Protestantism to Catholicism, don't want a Protestant Catholic Church. They want timeless truths, timeless morality. They love mm. Latin. They love chant. Why? Because these are things that don't go in and out of fact. These are things that resonate with the human heart. If something is in fashion in the 70s, if it came into fashion, it's going to go out of fashion. And a lot of times, churchmen, especially those who are unsuccessful in evangelization, they want to say, we need to go back to the way it was in the 70s. Mm -hmm. Why must we double down on something that we know does not work? Mm. When the, the faith of the 70s was in fashion, a lot of people left the church. The, the majority of Catholics, the majority of uh, the people that we would say faithful stopped attending mass, stopped believing in the real presence. We've seen this as the tree is judged by its fruit, which was one of the readings from the TLM this past weekend. We have to stick to what is true, good, and beautiful because those are the things that resonate with the human heart. When the missionaries were going out originally, they would use music, they would use beauty to touch the senses of indigenous peoples when they were doing it successfully because those are the things that resonate with every person and we need to think about that. We need to think about that, yeah. Where are the missionaries today? All the missionaries I can think of today almost almost always have a sort of a corporate work of mercy mission. Yes, that's true. But yeah. where's the missionaries to convert the world? Yes. Yes. Where, where are they? Do they I, exist? They do exist, but they, you're not going to see them. The things that we see on television are usually the flashy, you know, somebody's got a gimmick. I'm the rapping priest. I'm this priest. I'm that. We've all like, there's always like a gimmick to put them at the forefront so that we're looking at them. But the real work is done by regular people like the Virgin Mary. When she brought Jesus into the world, mm -hmm. she was a nobody. You'd overlook her. Jesus himself, you would overlook him until it was time for him to do what the father had willed for him. So, yeah. Well, don't be, don't be discouraged by what you see on the news necessarily, because mm. where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And I can see being able to work in parish life, being able to work in youth ministry. I see the Holy Spirit working in places that most people would have given up and not looked for the great glory of God to come in to save the church. I think also part of the issue is, is I mean, I th I'm thinking in terms of my own journey and yes. experience, you know, we get more and more disgruntled and fed up with what seems to be just pure deafness on yes. the part of the hierarchy yes. to the faithful saying, we want more, not less. Yeah, I don't even look to the hierarchy. I don't even think about the hierarchy anymore. Yeah, How, yeah. but that's part of the tragedy, right? right How yes. many souls are being led astray or leaving the church, abandoning? Right. We did a show last week about uh, the the faithful moving east are trying to go orthodox right. looking for a, a way yeah. out of the madness but the reality is you can't go there either yeah, you can't go there either the people will say oh the church the hierarchy yeah your hierarchy is not doing so high either no and i think not. a large part is because of a comfortable lifestyle mm -hmm. our apostles lived our modern day apostles they live too comfortably mm -hmm. um they do and 
if Pope Francis nails it, he says, you have to smell like the sheep. I don't know, I don't know a bishop really, maybe Bishop Strickland, who smells like the sheep, who spends time on a regular basis with mm-hmm. average Catholics, with poor Catholics, um, and gets to know them personally, know their struggles, know what they want. We want tradition. We want moral strength. We want a shepherd who prays with us, who, who leads us in the rosary. You know, it'd be a good act of reparation. If you're going to go apologize to people, say, I'm sorry. Let us pray the rosary together and ask God to have mercy on us. Let us do a penitential kneeling service where we have the blessed sacrament. Let's bring Jesus around these areas that have been profaned. Let's put holy water. Let's do deliverance prayers. Oh, that'd be great. I would follow any shepherd. If there, any shepherds are willing to do that, yeah. I'd, I'd be right good there luck. with you, buddy. Good luck. It doesn't <laughs> seem like that's on the agenda, to be honest with you. I mean, because the biggest complaint, it seems to me, like I said in the last hour, as far as I know, it has not yet been proven definitively that there are mass graves right. of children that are, are uh, as a result to crimes being committed I, by Catholics. And if they were crimes, they can prove them definitively, right. then they should go to prison. Yes. You know, justice should be had. Uh, that's always been my take. Is, I'll give you one good, one good uh, silver lining that for sure is happening in Canada. So when I looked up, because I wanted, because I'm going to Canada next week to give some talks. I'm going to be going to Montreal Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, August 1st through 4th. St. Our Lady of Fatima, if anybody's listening, I'll be there giving talks. And so I was like, is the Pope going to be there? Where is he going? Is he going to Montreal? I'm trying to get like the, the mm-hmm. climate. And the only, the number one article that kept coming up when I was looking up Pope Canada, mm-hmm. the number one question that I was getting was, who's paying for this? <laughs> we should not be paying for the Catholic Pope to come here, which is good. Because that means people are worried. They're associating us with things that they don't like, which is Catholicism and morality and all these things. So that's great. All right. Gabriel Castillo, thank you for your time today. God bless you. God love you, my friend. Check him out on YouTube at Gabi After Hours or True Faith TV. We'll link to both of those on our social feeds. Gabriel Castillo, always a winner for interviews. Don't you agree? Make sure to check out his YouTube channel. He's always producing amazing content. But next up, we have Konstantin Samoyelov. Loilov. I cannot say Russian names, so I probably just butchered that. But praise be to God for it. It's an opportunity to suffer my horrible pronunciations. But Constantine's going to be talking about what is it like living in Russia. And so we're going to throw you into that interview right now. God bless you. God love you. See you on the Joining us right now by Zoom chat is Konstantin Smoilov. He is uh, the host of Inside Russia, a YouTube channel that I've been watching quite a bit of. It's given us great insight into uh, the other side of the equation. Uh, Here in the West, we get a lot of news about the military conflict in Ukraine. Um, But what is it like on the other side? I pay a lot of attention to what Konstantin has to say, and he's joining us now. We're grateful to you. Good morning, Konstantin Smoilov. Good afternoon, friends. Uh, good morning for you. Good afternoon for me. Yeah, praise be to God. What time is it in Russia right now? This is 4.35 p.m. I'm on Moscow time, although I'm not in Moscow. Yeah, excellent. Well, we're grateful for your time. Thank you for being here. Um, I, 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 let's just, because we're on limited time, let me just uh, just point out that you probably have to be very careful of what you say, I imagine. Very much so. So, uh, so we're just going to make a statement. Read between the lines. I think that's one of your uh, one of the things you say frequently. So, with that, let's just ask the question. Uh, in the in the West, we're told that some of the heaviest sanctions have been placed upon Russia for the military conflict in Ukraine. Uh, many Western companies have left Russia, have abandoned Russia, and I, we have always maintained that we don't feel like it's ethical to punish the people for the decisions governments make. But nonetheless, that 
that's where we are at. So what is life like in Russia under these heavy sanctions? Well, first of all, uh, sanctions, in my mind, is not the biggest problem that Russia has. Sanctions are affecting us, have been affecting us for the past four months, um, you know, economically, so to speak. Um, but the bigger problem is the Russia's actions, what it's doing in the neighboring country. And that's what really concerns me the most. The sanctions are the reaction for certain actions. And it's obvious that if you do some actions, you get the reaction. So Russia got the reaction in terms of in form of sanctions. In general, things are not too well. Many companies, Western companies, pulled out of Russia uh, almost immediately after February 24th. Um, you know, the ones, very few who re that remain, they are planning, they have announced either cutting down operations in Russia or leaving. And right now, I'm seeing food companies are staying in Russia that provide basic food like baby formula and things like that. Uh, but um, most of Western companies are leaving or left already. Hmm. And uh, there's still food on the shelves. You still have gas at the gas stations. I mean, the the basic necessities. You're not suffering in any way on that in that regard. Not in any way whatsoever. We have plenty of everything. <laughs> the biggest problem is people don't have much money to pay for things that are sold right now. I see. And what we're feeling is uh, our wallets are becoming thinner. So many more people, uh, so many people have lost their jobs or on the verge of losing their jobs. I myself, um, under the question, my company has been one of the leaders in um, power facility construction here in Russia and in Kazakhstan, and basically all our work, I mean, we are very specialized companies. We build power plants and all, all our market has imploded. Oh, wow. All our projects have paused because they're not financed by banks anymore. There's turmoil everywhere and the future is absolutely unknown. And, you know, people getting fired left and right by thousands, hundreds of thousands. And that's the biggest problem. You see, Russia produces uh, lots of food, you know, lots of like wheat. We have like huge agricultural industry. We will not starve. We will always have food because we are people can do what we used to do. And back in the USSR, we used to plant potatoes in May. I used to do that as a kid helping my parents. We would harvest potatoes in September and it, they would get us by through the winter, you know, mm. we can go and do it again if worse comes to worst. So we're not going to starve. But what's going to happen to us is we will not have any money. We will not have jobs. We, we're going to be um, financially ruined, basically. Uh, Mr. Constantine, you know, one of the one of the, the headlines that we've read here in the West is that these sanctions were were created in order to uh, to cripple the the Russian economy and to lower the value of the ruble. Um, but I've also seen opposing uh, stories that say that the ruble is recovering. And from what you're telling me, it seems as if there's a pretty high inflation in your country right now. Is that correct? 
Um, there are, let me answer this question as a whole, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, inflation is high, that's correct. But I would question your sources. Yeah. Where you get information about Russian economy, the ruble, the ruble is strong, Russian economy is strong, hasn't been affected much and so forth. Because you see what happened, the ruble is strong. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. And it's probably, well, it's the most definitely strongest since 2015, but its strength is artificial. Mm-hmm. The government have placed limitations on free market. We cannot go, go ahead and exchange rubles for dollars. Right. Okay. We cannot withdraw dollars from the banks and have cash in our hands. We just have dollars in our bank accounts. And companies who receive dollar payments, they must sell 80%, then first 80, then now 50 within thir- three working days. They cannot keep foreign currency. Measures like that have strengthened the ruble, but the strength is artificial. As soon as they let people go and exchange the rubles for dollars freely, rubles gonna fall. Okay. And um, a lot of Russians are saying, well, ain't this great, you know, ruble is strong again. So what? If it was a free market, you know, the, the situation with ruble wasn't regulated, then I would say, okay, that's good. We have just about a I'm sorry, by the way, the ruble has lost about 12% of its value in the last two days. The Bible clearly says that Jesus had brothers and sisters, but the Catholic Church teaches that Mary was a perpetual virgin. How can that be? Mark 6, verse 3 says, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? Point number one to consider. There is no word for cousin or for nephew or for niece, aunt, uncle in ancient Hebrew or Aramaic. The words that the Jews use in all those instances were brother or sister. An example of this can be seen in Genesis 14, 14, where Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, is called his brother. Another point to consider, would the last thing that Jesus did on earth be to grievously offend his surviving brothers? Right before Jesus dies, John 19 tells us that Jesus entrusted the care of his mother to the apostle John. If Mary had any other sons, this would have been an incredible slap in the face to them that the apostle John was entrusted with the care of their mother. Also, we see from Matthew 27, 55 and 56 that the James and Josephs mentioned in Mark 6 as the brothers of Jesus are actually the sons of another Mary. And one other passage to consider, Acts 1 verses 14 to 15 speaks of a company of about 120 persons that consist of the apostles, the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Let's see. There were 11 apostles at the time. Jesus' mother makes 12. The women, probably the same three women mentioned at the crucifixion in Matthew 27, but let's say it was maybe a dozen or two, just for argument's sake. That puts us up to 30 or 40 or so. So that leaves the number of Jesus' brothers at about 80 or 90, according to this scripture passage. Do you think Mary had 80 or 90 children? She would have been in perpetual labor. No, Scripture does not contradict the teaching of the Catholic Church about the brothers of Jesus when Scripture is interpreted in proper context. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Okay. There are new laws, they were um, created after February 24th, that basically limit us 
uh, our freedom to speak up freely, you know. Um, for example, if we say something that contradicts official government information about Russian army or actions of the Russian army, mm -hmm. then we face up to 15 years in prison. Um, first degree murder is not that strict in terms of wow. prison, you know. Wow. You know, yeah. in, in the United States, we face a lot of censorship on social platforms. We are not allowed to to contradict uh, certain talking points about uh, whether it was the pandemic or or voting integrity or things like this. We get slapped on the wrist quite a bit, but we don't get threatened with prison. So that's kind of a big deal. Um, now, uh, so we hear lots of stories about war crimes in Ukraine. Do you hear this, these stories as well? Only from Western media, nothing, nothing uh, from the Russian media, from the Russian government, nothing like that. So do they, is it just that they don't address them at all, or do they have a side to the story? I think um, the all information that is coming out of Russian government, that's my opinion, mm -hmm. is um, very, like, highly filtered, mm -hmm. and um, they're just not addressing anything that doesn't follow the party line, so to speak. We also hear of really high casualty rates in the Russian army, uh, which seems in, you know, to compound the tragedy of the situation on both sides. Uh, do you, what, what do you hear about Russian casualties? You see, one of the things, well, I'm outraged uh, in general about the whole situation, but if one of the things I'm outraged is that the Russian citizens are being kept in the dark and we got the last update when we have had two updates on the number of russian casualties so far the first was seven days into this event and uh, i can't even call its real name if you know what i mean i, I have to uh, avoid this word you know um, and the second one was given us the last one was given us on the 29th of march that's three months ago okay and after that, no one even talks about it. It's not like they're denying, they're saying, oh, the casualties, this and that. No, they're just keeping silent. Like, we don't need to know. That's outrageous, okay, mm -hmm. because that's uh, people dying, okay? And if they start telling the numbers, people will probably start asking questions, you know? Mm -hmm. so. Now, now you lived in the United but, States. But, uh, let, let, me, let me a couple more words. If I say right now, something like i think so many casualties and so forth you know i will be subject to criminal prosecution wow according to that new law yeah wow well we don't want that um now you you <laughs> lived either. you lived a number of years in the united states and uh so that y you're very familiar with our culture here now i i, I grew up i mean today is in fact is a terrible day it's my birthday uh and as an old man now i grew up at the end of the cold war and our culture was so much influenced by uh, United States against the USSR, as you are very well aware of. And uh, in fact, just this past weekend, I watched a movie from the 80s called Cloak and Dagger, you know, and it was just bringing back all these memories. Um, there's so much pitted, like uh, we're, we're, we're pitted against each other. How, what is it like from your perspective as someone who was born and raised in Russia, but had lived in the United States, how did you experience that Cold War uh, culture? Back 
back in the USSR, I, I talk a lot about it on my channel because it's a very interesting topic for me as well. Back in the USSR, we had a very clear understanding that was coming from the government, that the official position, that the Western companies were enemies. The NATO countries were enemies, and the United States was enemy number one, the evil empire from the Star Wars, so to speak. <laughs> That's how it worked in the U.S. We didn't have Star Wars back then, but I'm just giving you a um, you know, comparison. And then, all of a sudden, in one day, everything fell apart, just like that, in August of 91, and all of a sudden, we had complete freedom, okay? The truth came out, and... What we used to call, what they used to call black, turned out to be white, white and vice versa. And the United States became a friend from the enemy into a friend and sort of like beacon of light because Russia embraced American culture, American way of life, Western way of life. And America was like number one, was absolute friend. Um, well, then in the 90s, I went to the United States, ended up... Um, close to nine years there, spending close to nine years there. I lived in state of Maine, like most of my time in the USA. And I returned to Russia and things were okay. The United States were still our, was still our friend up until 2011. Then things started changing. The agenda, um, you know, I remember first time Vladimir Putin was running for re-election in 2011. And he had some kind of a national address addressing the nation. And that's what the first time I heard the tide changing. He said something, well, they're friends, but we understand that they're not real friends. You know, they're partners. Let's call them mm -hmm. partners. And they have their own interests. And sometimes those interests go against our interests. That was something new. And then that agenda started developing. It's been in development, increasingly developing, you know for the next, uh, up until now, and starting February 24th, it's become madness. Not partners, but enemies. The United States officially, according to Russian law, is an enemy state. Uh, no, no, not an enemy, unfriendly state. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you understand what it means. And uh, many, many other countries are, I think, around 30, 36 countries, most Western countries, most uh, countries of the European Union are unfriendlies. And the re rhetoric is, we have the enemies at the door, okay? We have, uh, we must be strong. We must unite. We must isolate ourselves from the influence of outside. And this is terrible. Mr. Uh, Samoylov, we're talking with uh, Konstantin Samoylov from uh, Inside Russia. You should check out his YouTube channel. It's called Inside Russia on YouTube. I have a question. You know, one of one of the one of the really cool videos that you have is uh, going at the the last day that McDonald's is is open in Russia. Uh, they were closed down because of the sanctions. I believe they've been bought by a, an independent party in Russia. But uh, I was just wondering if uh, in the last few minutes of our interview, if you could talk to us about what it was like. Uh, to to see uh, American corporations come into Russia like McDonald's and what the experience was like after the collapse of the USSR. McDonald's came to the USSR when uh, it still existed, you know, back oh, okay. in 1990. And it was, how do I say that? It was life-changing experience. Because imagine this, you have 
Soviet Union and friendly states in Eastern Europe, and you are basically surrounded by enemies. And the biggest enemy is the United States, and that's the evil empire again. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you wake up, and on state television, there's news that McDonald's, which is embodiment of the evil empire, of the enemy, all... Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today is Monday of the 23rd week in Ordinary Time. It's also Labor Day. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. O my soul, praise Him, for He is thy help and salvation. Oh, in the great throng, psaltery organ and song, Sounding in glad adoration. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God. And to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. O God, creator of all things, who have commanded the human race to bear the burden of labor, grant that the work we are beginning may bring progress in this life and by your favor advance the spread of the kingdom of Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, it is widely reported that there is immorality among you, and immorality of a kind not found among pagans, a man living with his father's wife, and you are inflated with pride. 
Should you not rather have been sorrowful? The one who did this deed should be expelled from your midst. I, for my part, although absent in body but present in spirit, have already, as if present, pronounced judgment on the one who has committed this deed. In the name of our Lord, Je Lord Jesus. When you have gathered together, and I am with you in spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not appropriate. You do not know, do you not know that a little yeast leavens all the dough? Clear out all the old yeast, so that you may become a fresh batch of dough, inasmuch as you are unleavened. For our Paschal Lamb, Christ, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lead me in your justice, Lord. Lead me in your justice, Lord. For you, O God, delight not in wickedness. No evil man remains with you. The arrogant may not stand in your sight. You hate all evildoers. Lead me in your justice, Lord. You destroy all who speak falsehood. The bloodthirsty and the deceitful the Lord abhors. Lead me in your justice, Lord. But let all who take refuge in you be glad and exult forever. Protect them that you may be the joy of those who love your name. Lead me in your justice, Lord. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. My sheep hear my voice, says the Lord. I know them and they follow me. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. On a certain Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue and taught, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely to see if he would cure him on the Sabbath so that they might discover a reason to accuse him. But he realized their intentions and said to the man with the withered hand, Come up and stand before us. And he rose and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath rather than to do evil, to save life rather than to destroy it? Looking around at all of them, he then said to him, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was restored. But they became enraged and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel today fits so beautifully with this uh, holiday that we celebrated, Labor Day. A man with a withered hand. 
If we think back to the Garden of Eden, it is Adam and Eve who stretched out their hand to take the fruit of it from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and started all kinds of trouble. <laughs> that kind of trouble that we see even in the first reading, Paul having to do with a very, very difficult situation, uh, the, uh, the malice and amount of sin that we can, we can accomplish in life. I think even probably the demons sometimes blush <laughs> what was going on there and having to correct that, realizing that the amount of malice that we can accomplish is so great, yet what, the good that we can accomplish in Christ is so much more grand and, and the possibility is so much greater than the malice that we could achieve. But that our hands have to be restored. And this is what happens in the gospel today. I think also we should note kind of this undercurrent that Jesus is having to address the whole uh, understanding of the Sabbath. He did this in a couple of a couple of days ago in the in the gospel in the gospel reading. But the the difficulty with the Sabbath is something that we probably don't relate to very much. But for the Jews, uh, to keep the Sabbath was to be like God, because God rested on the seventh day, and so that is that you didn't do any kind of work. And by not doing any kind of work, you really were honoring God and being like God, who completed the work in seven days and looked at it and saw that it was very good. So the idea was that by resting, then, then the works that we uh, had been given to do then were to, be, were to be made fruitful and augmented by God's goodness because we were to be like God. But if Jesus is going to cure, if he's going to do these works, quote-unquote works, on the Sabbath, then he is not like God. It's not just about going against the rules of all the things about the Sabbath. It was like it was in the cultural understanding. It was not. It was being unlike God. But Jesus is trying to kind of correct something, and that is to be like God is to do good rather than evil, um, to restore rather than to destroy. And so, by restoring this man's hand, the Lord is. Jesus is showing that in Him, that by the power of Christ, who has restored us to the grace of God, then we can accomplish great works for God. On this Labor Day, um, it's kind of interesting, I was thinking it's ironic that we take a day off for Labor Day. Why aren't we working? <laughs> but the idea, of course, is that it's to help us to reflect on the purpose and of labor, of its goodness. Because while we know it's toil and it's difficulty or sweat and blood that we, that we pour into work, Sometimes our, the orient, how we orient our, our work gets a little bit skewed, or it's disoriented. That old song from the 80s, you know, everybody's working for the weekend. <laughs> that, I have a 9 to 5 job, Monday through Friday, or this used to be the case. Now everybody works, you know, Monday through Sunday, uh, and whatever day, day and night, and so on and so forth. There hardly is a work week anymore. But the idea was that I'm working so that I can do the things that I want to do, I have the money to do what I want to do. But work is something, when you look at, when you look at the, the gospel, actually you look at the scriptures, and you look at the very beginning of creation, St. John Paul II reminded us of a beautiful encyclical that he wrote on labor, was that work is actually a participation in the creative work of God. Yes, we experience its toil because of sin, it's difficult, um, we experience the tiredness that comes from that, but it really is this participation in the work of God, in the creativity of God. Jesus says, this, my father is at work and I am at work. So Jesus worked. But what is the work that we are about? That's always the question. 
Yes, we do our labor so that we can support our family, so on and so forth, and we do need rest from that. We do need a break. But the break, the, the rest, is to reorient ourselves in God. If we don't do this, then we simply become like a Duracell battery that when we're all worn out, then we just simply throw in the garbage. Or as our Holy Father Pope Francis would say, this is the throwaway culture. You know? But rather, our labor is to, do some, is to glorify God like it has a purpose. It forms us. As difficult sometimes as it is. So we participate in the creative work of God. And thus, the Christ, by restoring this man's withered hand, restores our works, the works of our hands, so that they can give glory to God. Let us reorient ourselves in this beautiful understanding of labor. God has given us a work. He has entrusted to each of us a work, a mission that only I can accomplish. And if I get in that stream of his grace to, to accomplish that work, then the work of my hands, what I set out to do, to stretch out my hands, uh, will become fruitful. Otherwise, I have alligator arms. <laughs> and alligator arms is, I'm stingy. I try, I, I'm trying to get as much for myself, but I don't want to give out. And stinginess is not godliness. No, to give is better to, than to receive. So let us stretch out our hands, restored by Christ, to do the work that he has given us to do, and so glorify our Heavenly Father. Amen. We bring our petitions to our Heavenly Father. Let us pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, for the Holy Church of God, for all the works that the Lord has entrusted to us to in helping to sanctify the world. We pray to the Lord. Let's pray for all those who govern us, that they may be concerned not only with the needs of their own nations, but for all people, especially for the most vulnerable, uh, the poor, uh, those who, do, who are unemployed, and especially always to respect life from conception to natural death. We pray to the Lord. Amen. On this Labor Day, we're reminded of those who do not have work or those who uh, suffer from very difficult work conditions, uh, for those who do not receive a just wage. Uh, for those who, uh, who d d have forgotten the, the dignity and the beauty of work, we pray to the Lord. Amen. Let us pray for all those who are sick and who are suffering, who are in need of, our, of God's consolation and of our support, we pray to the Lord. Amen. Remember those who have died for the holy souls in purgatory, that they may rest in peace, we pray to the Lord. For the intention of those who are joining us online through Guadalupe Radio Media, for all those who are enrolled in our Salt Mass Association, for the intentions we hold in the silence of our hearts, we pray to the Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the beginning, you created the heavens and the earth, and you created us in your image. You looked at everything you had made and found that it was very good. We bring our petitions before you, confident that you hear and answer us, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. All else be not to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night. Bye.
Pray, dearly beloved, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. O God, who in the offerings presented here nourish the human race with food and renew it with your sacrament, grant, we pray, that the sustenance they provide may not fail us in body or in spirit, through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just our duty and our salvation. Always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God. For you laid the foundations of the, of the world and have arranged the changing of times and seasons. You formed man in your own image and set humanity over the whole world in all its wonder. To rule in your name over all you have made and forever praise you in your mighty works through Christ our Lord. And so with all the angels we praise you, as in joyful celebration we acclaim. Holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he, who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and giving thanks broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take this all of you and eat of it for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, 
We proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church. Graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us peace. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Only say the word, and my soul shall be. 
communion antiphon. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. An act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Oh, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come to me, but speak the word of comfort, my spirit still shall be, and humbly I'll receive thee, the bridegroom of my soul no more by sin to grieve thee or fly thy sweet control eternal holy spirit unworthy though i be prepare me to the word to me. Increase my faith, dear Jesus, in thy real presence here, and make me feel most deeply that thou to me art near. My hope in thee now strengthen, O Savior of my soul. Lest by temptation blinded, I turn from my true goal. Let us pray. Having been made partakers of this table of unity and charity, we beseech your mercy, Lord, that through the work you have given us to do, we may sustain our life on earth and trustingly build up your kingdom through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. Amen. Now, Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Now think we all are God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things has done in whom his world rejoices who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today
Has Catholic Radio blessed you? Bless a friend. Tell them to listen to AM 1430 KSHJ Catholic Radio for Houston.